no notes tonight, so think of it as a pop quiz. So <laughs> you're actually going to have to use your own Bible, as I, I didn't have the notes prepared. And I thought, well, I wonder if I'm ruining everybody by uh, printing up all the verses anyhow and get to where you don't have to bring in your own Bible. Uh, but uh, we are still in John chapter 8. We're going to pick up with verse 13. And since you don't have any notes, tonight I can go, well, we're going to start on verse 13 and see how far we go. <laughs> um, I, plan on, I plan on finishing this, the rest of this chapter um, because I like to follow things. Uh, I like to follow the passages thematically. And the rest of this chapter does kind of follow this theme and this uh, idea of what's going on. <clears throat> and once again, uh, there's, a, there's a verse in here uh, that a lot of us are extremely familiar with. Um, but um, once again, it's very important to read these passages in context. It's the passage where it says, if the Son has set you free, you'll be free indeed. Anybody here other than me hear that verse before or like a million times? Uh, well, it's really interesting when you read that verse in this context, reading this whole section, uh, and the comparisons that he's making um, in here. So <clears throat> let's pick up with this, because if you remember, he just got through saying, we talked about this last week, uh, when he said that, uh, that he was the light of the world, uh, and that that was a major part of the Feast of Sukkot, uh, and the things would build throughout the week, um, and that they would have these huge menorahs, basically, uh, up to 75 feet tall, a number of them. They're on the Temple Mount and around there in Jerusalem, and they would light them all up and, and literally light the city up uh, with these uh, natural lights. Um, think about Christmas. You know, how doesn't it get special, you know, when everything's lit up with all the lights and everything, everybody goes, you know, all out? Well, that really is kind of like, if you will, back in the day, their Christmas, if you will. It is the most celebratory holiday of all the biblical holidays. It has that big uh, water celebration. Uh, and then they, and like I said, each night they would, they would light it up and it would just build. And then some of these, like I said, candelabras, literally 75 feet tall. That's uh, not anything to sneeze at, right? And so the thing about the whole city lit up with candles. That's pretty special. Uh, and they say that you could see it a long ways. Anyways, so that's what this is uh, still during this time here where uh, Jesus is talking to them. Yeshua's teaching them. Uh, and now he's going to be moving into the inner part of the temple. And we'll, we'll see that here in just a second. So he's sharing these testimonies and it picks up here in verse 13 where it says, the Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness about yourself. Your witness is not true. Yeshua answered and said to them, even if I witness concerning myself, my witness is true. For I know where I come from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I go. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true because I am not alone in it. But I am the Father who sent me. And in your Torah also it has been written that the witness of two men is true. I am one who witnesses concerning myself, 
and the Father who sent me witnesses concerning me. I'm going to stop there. I want you to pay attention here that already he has said twice who sent him. So who did he say that he sent him? The Father did. Just hold on to that because we'll get to that here in a second. Um, They tell him, says, look, your witness isn't true because in the Torah it says you have to have at least two or three witnesses for a matter to be confirmed. You can't convict somebody just on one witness and one Witness testifying is, doesn't mean anything. And so that's what they're bringing up to him. They're trying to even trap him again and say, you can't be your own witness to testify as far as who you are. And so then he challenges them, um, but he says, he says something pretty fascinating because he says, I know where I come from and where I'm going, but you guys don't have a clue. That's going to build as we go through here and he says, uh, and, and you judge according to the flesh. You're judging according to what you see. Um, he goes, I'm not here. Remember, he's, he didn't come to judge, but to bring salvation. And he says, but I, I don't judge anyone. But if I do, my judgment is true. And then he says, and I'm not alone in it. Because who's really doing the judging? The Father is and the Word of God is. We're going to be measured up to what God's Word is actually says. And uh, he's challenging them with this, and he's saying that you guys are just judging according to what you see. That can be deceiving, can't it? Can't it? It can be very deceiving. Even today, it's pretty amazing. I mean, what they can do with video is amazing. It's almost like I don't even know what to believe anymore of anything I see, even when it looks Somewhat believable. Sometimes they'll do it so over the top, you go, okay, that was computer generated. But then there's others you go, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, what, what am I really seeing here? He's saying here, he says, you judge according to the flesh, according to what you can see. He goes, uh, I'm not, um, but my judgment is true because I'm not the only one in it. Folks, what we need to do is we need to learn something in this, this short passage right here that I just read. In the days to come, it will be extremely important that you not judge something simply according to what you see, but you and I had better be judging it according to what the Word of God says, period, period, because you're going to see some stuff and hear some stuff that you're going to go, well, maybe that is true. I don't proof's in the pudding. I just saw it. A very prominent person said this was true, so it must be true. Um, those of you that have been around for a while, you figured out it. You need to question pretty much everything, right? And um, and make sure that it lines up with the Word of God. <clears throat> well, in our current state of affairs, it's gonna everything's gonna get a lot worse, and it'll the the speed will increase. Um, exponentially, I believe, in the days, months, and years ahead. Um, and you just need to know what the Word of God says. You're going to get caught off guard. <clears throat> so then he brings it back up again, saying that uh, he's reminding them, look, in the Torah, this is what it says. And I'm going to show you how I'm not breaking it because I'm testifying of myself and the Father is also testifying. He didn't bring this up, uh, which he could have, 
But the Torah also was testifying according to the works he was doing. He does bring up, you know, about his works, but <clears throat> what I don't remember reading in the gospel accounts is where he could have also said, the Torah is also validating me and a witness about me because the works I'm doing only the Messiah can do and was prophesied that the Messiah would do them and I'm doing them. Like him uh, healing a man born blind. That is only something that they believe that God in the flesh could do because someone was born that way. Anyways, let me continue on. Um, so in... He says, let me start with 18 again. He goes, uh, I am one who witnesses concerning myself and the Father who sent me witnesses concerning me. And then they say, therefore they say to him in verse 19, so where's your father? Yeshua answers, says, you know neither me nor my father. Ouch. If you knew me, you would have known my father also. Now watch this. These words Yeshua spoke in the treasury, teaching in the set-apart place, the holy place. So here's what you need to keep in mind. I hope I'm not getting too far ahead on my notes. <clears throat> he's been teaching outside of Jerusalem. Then he's moved into Jerusalem. He's there during the Feast of Sukkot. He's been teaching in Jerusalem. Now he's been teaching in the temple. Now he's in the temple area. Now he's not only in, he's not in the outer court. He's now moved into the inner sanctuary part of the tabernacle, not the Holy of Holies, but in what's called the treasury. So <clears throat> this is important because here's what you need to keep in mind. So who would be in there? Not just anybody, right? Um, so you've got the leaders of the religious sect, if you will, the Yehudim that we've talked about. These are the leaders of the, I'm sorry, the Yehudioi. The Yehudim is the Jews, generally speaking. Uh, the Yehudioi, which would be the religious leaders <clears throat> that controlled all of that. Uh, and it says that he's teaching this in the treasury, so he's moved into the inner sanctum, if you will, the inner workings of the temple. He's not even just out in the outer court area. He's in the, in the treasury area. And it says, and no one laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come. Did you notice that it doesn't say no one laid hands on him, on the, on him because uh, they were still trying to figure it out or what? It, they've already been trying to arrest him, Remember? So now he's basically moved right into their den and he's teaching and he's saying, you don't know me nor the Father. If you knew the Father, you would know me. You don't know either one. You don't even know where I came from or where I'm going. I know where I came from and where I'm going. Now, here's, I, I can't get off of that. For some reason, somebody here needs to hear this. It is extremely important for you to know where you came from and where you're going so that you can be confident in the God that's leading you. If you don't have a clue where you're going, 
which over the last few years, I've kind of figured out that most Christians don't have a clue. We've, we think we're just, I don't know, we're going to be floating in the skies and, I don't know, playing a harp or something weird and it's going to be this ghostly kind of thing in heaven. But it, Scripture talks very plainly about <clears throat> Him creating a new heaven, a new earth, and us receiving glorified, resurrected bodies. Uh, if you don't understand all that, you don't understand the kingdom. You don't understand your place in the kingdom on this earth now. How are you going to understand that what you do now affects your place in the kingdom there? Therefore, it's pretty important to understand who you are, what God created you to be, and to walk in that knowing where you're going. Um, when you do, it'll revolutionize your life. I mean, take away all fear, almost all of it, uh, fear and doubt, uh, give you such confidence working in the kingdom. It's incredible. And then to think, wait a minute, I don't have to be scared of anybody or anything. I'm a child of the king for crying out loud. Okay, well, let's just let's try to call up the president for crying out loud. Let's just go see what happens. <laughs> you never know. All right, let's move on. Uh, <clears throat> so in verse 21, it says, Therefore Yeshua said to them, I'm going away, and you shall seek me, and you shall die in your sin. Where I go, you're unable to come. Two things he says here that's pretty scary. He says, I'm going away, and you're going to look for me, but you're not going to be able to find me and you're going to die in your sin. They're going to be looking for him and not be able to find him. Why? Because they don't really believe in him. Once again, all they're really looking for are facts, and they want their facts. It doesn't matter if they're real facts or not. They want their facts, watch this, so they can continue to control the situation. Does that sound like modern America today? and the media, and the political environment, and religious environment, and everything. People just want their facts, and they want to control the facts so that they control the situation so they can stay in power. And they'll do anything and manipulate anything to be able to achieve that goal. That's all they were really after. They didn't want to know the truth. <clears throat> uh, and he says, you're going to seek me. You're not going to find me. And then he says, and you're going to die in your sin. And then he says, and where I go... You are unable to come. So where's he going? Let's clarify this as a question answer time. Where's he going? He's going back to the Father. And he's telling these people, you can't come. Ouch. What? Um... He's saying all these things because he knows what's in their heart. And watch this. We'll get to this in just a second. He's about to tell them. He's about to admit everything or tell them everything. He's been telling them everything. They're just not listening. <clears throat> he knows where they come from. He knows what team they're on. And he knows they have no intent of truly finding the Messiah. That's not their intent. It hasn't been their life even though they were supposed to be shepherds 
of God's people. He knows they're really of the devil himself. The Yehudim in verse 22 says, the Yehudim said to him, is he going to kill himself? Because he says, where I'm going, you're not able to come? Can you see the delusion when you don't have a desire to find truth? You can't even hear what's being said to you. You, you can't even rationalize things out. You, the information's coming, but nothing's landing. And you hear things, and you can't discern it according to real truth, so then you start trying to come up with all kinds of weird stuff, like, well, is he talking about killing himself? Is that, is that why he's saying we're not going to be able to go there? Because he's going to commit self-murder? Um, no, that's not what he was saying at all. In verse 23, he says, he nails it. He goes, he said to him, you're from below and I'm from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you're going to die in your sin. Watch this. For if you do not believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Now, there's a lot of other telling things in these statements. He's telling them why they're not going to be able to come. He goes, because you're from here, and I'm from there, and you can't figure this out. And the reason you're not going to be able to go to heaven, the reason you're not going to be able to go where I'm going, is because you don't really believe that I am who I say I am. That's the pivotal issue. <clears throat> he goes, because if you don't believe that I'm he, you're going to die in your sins. Now watch this. He goes, I'm from above. You know what's fascinating? Um, you ever hear of the Jewish people making what's called Aliyah? When they move to Israel, they call it making Aliyah. That's just the term, okay? But what the term means is to go up, to ascend up. Why? Because when you go to Jerusalem, when you're in Israel, that area, the only way to get to Jerusalem is to go up. Is to Aliyah up to go to go up to Jerusalem. <clears throat> Where are they? They're in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount, in the temple area. Basically, the highest point there in the actual city uh, of Jerusalem. Uh, I'm trying to remember if uh, the mountain just on the other side of the valley there is actually higher. I don't remember now, anyways, but it's very, very high. It's a, it's a bowl. Right. But they're at, the very, they're at this top spot, and the only way to get there is you've got to come up from below, up on the mountains to go up to Jerusalem. And yet Yeshua is saying, but I'm from above. He came down to Jerusalem. Everybody else has to go up. Everybody else has to Aliyah. It's the only way to get up there. You have to Aliyah. You have to go up to get to Jerusalem. But Yeshua is saying, I'm from above, and he was sent here from the Father, and he came down from heaven. He came down to earth. Um, he's above it all. <clears throat> and he's telling him, he says, but you are from below. Um, and then he goes, and if you, don't, if you don't believe that I am he, you're going to die in your sins. Then they said to him, well, then who are you? <laughs> um, this is what's fascinating. So they go, well, then who are you? 
They already know who he is. Right? They've already sent people to arrest him. They've been trying to track him down. They've been trying to trap him. They know exactly who he is. But watch this. So then Yeshua says to him, now in the scriptures version, this is what it says, all together, all together that which I even say to you. In the ESV, it pretty much says everything I've already been telling you. It's almost like, what do you mean, who am I? Everything I've been telling you since I've been telling you from the very beginning who I am and who sent me, and, and you're not listening. You can't even hear what I'm saying. <clears throat> uh, and then in verse 26, he says, I have much to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And what I heard from him, these words I speak to the world. Look at this. They did, verse 27, they did not know that he spoke to them of the Father. Now, John is telling us this. The Holy Spirit's telling him to write this down, that when they're asking him this, they don't have a clue that he's talking about the Father. They don't have a clue that he's talking about God, the Father. How is it that they don't have a clue? This is an amazing thing. What I wrote down, it's amazing that they didn't understand he was talking about the Father. He's already said many times that it was already sent from the Father. Remember that he's also been saying that he was what? The bread that came down from heaven, on and on and on. Uh, this is not <clears throat> new. This isn't a new revelation of what he's saying here. I'm just pointing out the fact they cannot grasp what he's saying, even though he's right there now in front of them saying it, they still can't grasp it. Now, before you think that really strange. Before you and I understood that the Torah still applied to our lives and that the Word of God still applies, wasn't there like tons of passages we would read and think we understood what they said when we didn't understand what they really said? <clears throat> so we've done the same thing. Why and how? How is that possible? because we get religiously trained and accept what we've heard as the truth. And then we go, and it, so that's the truth. Then you start reading everything through that filter. Therefore, you can't even see the words you're reading. You're already looking for a truth that you already have in your heart. All you're really looking for is validation of what you already think you know. They're doing the same thing. The problem is, and the big problem here, is that these were supposed to be God's shepherds teaching God's covenant people who God was and what they were supposed to be doing to honor him. And they were doing just the opposite and were after money. Therefore, they could not understand what they were even reading. Uh, <clears throat> So let me uh, continue on here in verse 28. It says, so Yeshua said to them, when you lift up the son of Adam, the son of man, then you're going to know that I'm he and that I uh, do none at all of myself, but as my father taught me, these words I speak. And he who sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone for I always do what pleases him. And let me go ahead and read verse 30. 
And as he was speaking this word, these words, many believed in him. Now, once again, this is why reading your Bible in context is extremely important. If you pick and choose verses out of context and you go, so he was speaking these words and there was a lot of people there around there that believed in him. Well, there were many there that believed in him, but who were they that were believing in him when he said these things? Remember, where is he? He hasn't moved out yet. He's still in the temple talking to these religious leaders. Wow. So what we're talking about here are basically Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders in the temple of these Eudioi, these religious leaders that were governing everything religiously and politically. And it says, and many believed in him at that moment. They got it. It clicked. It clicked for them. And they went, oh my. He's got, he's got, he's got to be the Messiah. And they believed in him. Yeshua understands this. It says, when he says this, many believed in him because why? He's God, so he knows what's going on in our hearts. He turns his attention to those that believe in him. The very next verse, in verse 31, it says, so Yeshua said to those Yehudim, Jews, who believed him. Now what he's about to say is directed at the religious leaders there in the temple area where he's teaching and saying these things that now believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. You have to keep all that in context so that you understand the comments that he's about to make. Verse 31, he says, So Yeshua said to those Jews, those Yehudim who believed in him, If you stay in my word... You are truly my disciples or taught ones, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If, if they, they, they understand, they're believing, they're right there. They're like, this, he's got to be the Messiah. So Yeshua turns to them and says, okay, so if you stay in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He doesn't stop. Well, they, they then start to answer. they asking him some questions there in the crowd. I'm sorry. So that, that phrase, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, we've all heard that one before, too, because it's always in the, the uh, Rolodex for the verses you need to memorize, right? Um, <clears throat> But what we don't pay a lot of attention to is that one little small word, if. If you stay in my word, then you're proving yourself to be truly his disciple. In other words, you haven't had a, a, a prison conversion where you'll do, you know, do anything to get out. But then once you get out, do you really still have that relationship or not? Um, <clears throat> he's saying, if you stay in my word, then you truly are my disciples. It's then you will know the truth, and the truth is going to set you free. This is when they ask him, he says, man, we're Abraham's seed. We're, we're, we're born from Abraham. We haven't been servants to anyone at any time. How do you say we're going to become free? 
Do you find that, that comment fascinating or funny or even amazing? They said, we are the seed of Abraham. We have been servants to no one at any time. Little question, little history question. So who controls Israel at that point? Rome. Who are they servants of? Rome. How did a lot of them even get in charge of the temple area? Rome. To make money with Rome. So they're sitting there going, look, I know my DNA. I know my heritage. We came from Abraham. We ain't servants of nobody's dude. Ever. They even said at any time. I guess they forgot all about Babylon and Egypt and on and on and on. I mean, uh, amazing. So it says, so how are you saying, you know, we're going to be set free? Isn't that amazing? You know, when you get so prideful and so self-centered, you, you don't even know your own history. You'll just say whatever dumb thing comes to mind. Uh, Yeshua answered them, says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone doing sin is a servant of sin. So what is sin? First John tells us what sin is. Sin is breaking the law of God. It's not going against your conscience. It's being lawless. He goes, sin is lawlessness. And he says, if you are doing sin, you are a servant or slave of sin. And watch this. And the servant does not stay in the house forever. A son stays forever. If, the son, if then the son makes you free, you're going to be free indeed. You make some connections here now? He's saying, look, if you're doing sin, you're a servant of sin. Then he continues on. You don't, don't uh, uh, take away from these comments. They're not disjointed. They are together. He goes, if you're doing sin, you're a servant of sin. And watch this. And the servant doesn't always stay in the house. But the son does. Do you remember the parable of the vineyard and the, and the sons and the servants? And, and the uh, parable is that uh, the owner of the vineyard would send even his son because they'd been uh, beating up his messengers. He said, I'll send my son. It'll be all right. And they go, let's just kill the son. Uh, and that way we'll take the vineyard. And then when the owner of the vineyard comes, he does what? He takes those servants and he kills them. Uh, and he gives the vineyard to someone else. Well, <clears throat> does Yeshua know that parable since he said it? Yeah, he knows the parable, right? So he says, the servant doesn't always stay in the house. The son does. Therefore, why, why, and why is that? Because he's the son of the father who owns the house. Who owns what house? Israel. Who owns the world? Who owns the universe? Who owns the house that they're in? The temple. <clears throat> what were they supposed to be? God's servants, shepherds, taking care of God's vineyard, which is Israel. So here he's making the connection. If you're doing sin, you're a servant of sin. 
The servants don't always stay in the house, but the son does. Therefore, if the son sets you free, you're going to be free indeed. You see now where that context and that, that statement has tons of meaning. It's not just a little simple ditty. Well, you know what? Hey, if Jesus sets you free, you'll be free indeed. He's saying, look, I'm the son of the father who sent me. This is our house. If I set you free, you are truly free. And you're not going back into bondage. Watch this. To what? Sin. To be the servant of sin and be its slave. In verse 37, he goes, I know that you're the seed of Abraham. I got it. It's okay, Jack. I got it. It's, I know who you are. <laughs> he goes, but you're seeking to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've heard from your father. And they answered him and said, Abraham's our father. And Yeshua said, well, if Abraham was, if, if you really were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works of Abraham. But now you actually seek to kill me, a man who's spoken to you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham didn't do this. He's, he's nailing them down by what they're doing, not so much by what they say they do or don't believe. You see, your actions speak louder than your words. Um, he goes, I know that you're Abraham's seed. Right, right here, let me, I'm, I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit, so, but I, this is a note I wrote down for myself. Wow, Yeshua here admits that they are descendants of Abraham, and yet he also says in verse 44 that their father is the devil. Once again, it's not the physical blood throwing through our veins that proves if we are part of Yehovah's family and his kingdom. It's not what your heritage is, your physical heritage is, that's going to determine... <clears throat> your place in the kingdom, or anything else. Um, but our actions do display where we really are coming from. Not our belief system. It's our actions. I mean, ladies, would you really want your husband to tell you all the time he loved you, but then actually treat you badly? then do his words mean anything if he's treating you badly and all kinds of dumb stuff, but he's telling you that he loves you. And if he's doing that, and then he says, do, I, I, honey, I love you, you're going to roll your eyes at him, aren't you? Or at least turn around and roll your eyes or something, right? Because you're going to be thinking, yeah, right, get a little bit closer so I can hit you with this pan. Right? Because actions speak louder than words, and actions either verify or deny the word spoken. Right? Our actions either verify what we say, well, they actually verify what we say, <laughs> being them right or wrong, because you can't get away from what you're doing. What you're doing comes out of our most basic motivational factors. You cannot get away from it. It's just, it's just the way it works. You're going to do what you actually believe in your heart, which should scare all of us, right? He's saying, you know, you're, you're seeking to kill me 
you know, but uh, Abraham, if you really were Abraham's children, well, you'd be doing what Abraham did. Um, I'm going to go on down to verse 41. It says, you do the works of your father. Now, here's what's, this gets pretty um, personal to Yeshua. This is where now it's really descending down into pretty much name calling if you don't understand all the background info. Uh, He's saying, you're doing your works of your father. He's already told him, I'm doing my works of my father, which is God. And they said to him, we weren't born of whoring. We have one father, Elohim. Why would they make that comment to him? Yeah, you're that Jesus guy, right? And where's your daddy? What was all that stuff going on? Yeah. You know, Mama Mary, you know, she's pregnant before, you know, they got married. I mean, we can count. They're really trying to stick him and trying to catch him here because, and why would they do that? Because now, you see, Yeshua is God, so he's not nervous. He even knows how the argument, the debate is going. He's in total control. So instead of them being in control of the conversation, he's in control of the conversation. Who has now lost all control? They have. They've just simply gone into name calling and then literally in that process, condemning themselves. Because what do they now say? God is our father. Ouch. Because now Yeshua is now going to answer them. Yeshua then said to him, this is in verse 42, if Elohim, if God were your father, then you would love me because I came from God and am here. That's a loaded statement. For I have not come of myself, but he sent me. Now, I mean, we're about to close this down. He is about to just literally hammer them. Oh, you said God's your father? I'm going to prove to you that that's not right because if God really were your father, then you would love me because I came from the father. This is why this same concept is why we're told that we're supposed to love one another and especially in the household of faith because we're supposed to love what God loves. And the scripture tells us that if we don't love one another, then we don't have the light of God in us. That's proof as to whether or not we truly do love God or not on how we even treat one another. You can say, well, I I love you, brother. Now, I'm just going to say this in love, you know, and then you know the hammer's fixing to come, right? Filled with opinions and half-baked truths and everything else because, after all, we do know everything. Um, The proof as to whether or not we truly love one another is in our actions, or whether or not we love God is in our actions on how we actually love each other. And watch this, love each other even when they are wrong and we are wrong. And why should we be able to do that? Because we were sinners at one time and God loved us and saved us in the middle of it. Therefore, if God has forgiven us of so much, 
Who are we to be pointing fingers at anybody? At anybody? Except ourselves, right? If God really were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. For I have not come of myself, but he sent me. Then he, now he's going to answer their question, really. Why do you not know what I say? <laughs> Why is it you cannot hear? You, do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? It's like, I'm going to tell you why you can't understand the words coming out of my mouth. Because you are unable to hear my word. Unable. I might as well be talking to the wall. You can't get it. He's gonna, he continues on. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you wish to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks the lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and a father of it. And because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. <clears throat> you see, <clears throat> they cannot get it because they are basically in the enemy's camp. There's only two camps, God's and everybody else's. And everybody else is against God. It's headed up by Lucifer, who here is called the devil, which means the adversary. It's a title more than it's, it's not really a name. It's really a title. Uh, and he's saying that you are of your father, the devil, and you desire to do what he wishes to do. He knows they desire to kill him. And he goes, and that's the proof that you are of your father, the devil. Your actions are telling Your shoe's untied and you don't know it. You can look down. You can, tell me it's, you can tell me it's tied all day long, but I'm telling you, it's not tied. And the reason you can't see it is because you just won't look down because you don't want to look down because if you look down, you're going to have to admit that your shoe's untied. So you'd rather get in a fight over me about me telling you that your shoe's untied rather than tying your shoe. Genius. But that's where we are. And that's what he's telling them. And then he says, and you, you want to kill me and you don't believe me simply because I speak the truth. Now, it's important at this point, once again now, to remember, who is he talking to? He's talking to these religious leaders in the, the treasury area of the temple, there are some in the crowd that have started believing in him. He addresses them, and then there's this other crowd that are still trying to trap him, and these are the ones he's directing his attention to, and he's telling them, he says, you don't believe me because I speak the truth. You know what they're really, really good at, what they were really good at, and they're even really, really good at now? They're really, really good at quoting other rabbis. You know what 99% of Christianity is really good at today? Quoting preachers, taking a verse out of context, memorizing that and using it as a blanket to, I don't do all kinds of weird stuff. 
we're really, really good at quoting other people other than just saying what the Bible says. And as soon as you start telling people what the Bible really says, they don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. Um, because it's the truth. <clears throat> and when you're faced with the truth, then you're going to have to change, watch this, what you do. And in modern Christianity, it's like, well, you know, just don't go against your heart because the Holy Spirit's in you and he's going to tell you what you really should be doing and so then it's going to be okay. And that's where all that mess comes from. Yet the Word of God says, no, that's not how it works. The Word of God said that the heart is exceedingly wicked. Who can know it? Why would I want to trust my heart? Has your heart ever gotten you in trouble? Have you ever just, you know, one day went, ooh, that didn't turn out very good. Anybody here other than me want to just go ahead and admit that there was at least one or two things that, that you'd go. Anybody here have a few that you're like, I kind of like I have that one back, as a matter of fact, and maybe tear the pages up and burn it in the fireplace in the middle of summer even. A, a, a do-over, yeah, you know. We have a few days in our life we'd like to have do-overs. Um, folks, <clears throat> um, it's in our actions uh, that proves what we really believe and why would we want to trust in our heart uh, if our actions are proving something wrong and we know it by what the Word of God says, then that should convict us, drive us to tears, begging God to give us the strength to never do that again. Instead of, well, I'm only human and that's just as good as it gets and Oh, well, God, it's me again. I'm sorry for the 9,000th time. It really should convict us, right? <clears throat> so then verse, he, he tells him, he says, you don't believe me because I speak the truth. And he, still, he hasn't stopped talking. Who of you proves me of concerning sin? Who here is going to tell me what I've done that is sin? And if I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? Then he goes, he who is of God hears the words of God. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. If you can't understand this, there's a reason. It's because you're not of God. Now, here's what's so scary, and I know I've been saying this here lately. That should have woken them up, right? Because once again, who's he talking to? religious people. I'm going to go ahead and tell you because I'm 60, about to be 63 in May. I've been in the ministry a long time and I really can't tell you how many times, this is behind the scenes stuff that you know, a pastor sees with other pastors and I've gone, whoa, that's not good. Whoa. Um. Man, um, and, I'm, and, I, and I see some things and I go, these are people that preach from the Bible every week and that's going on? What? Um, folks, when religion is religion and then work is something else and your home life is something else and... 
Um, you know, one day God's going to fix all this and we'll be in heaven and that's something else. It's real easy when that's your mindset to compartmentalize stuff and that you're also told that nothing you do really matters. And if you do mess up, all you got to do is say, God, I'm sorry, and he'll forgive you. You just keep going. Then it becomes very easy to constantly pick and choose verses and do things that you know are wrong and just keep going. That's exactly what they were doing. But when God is saying to these religious leaders, think of them as pastors. <clears throat> when he's talking to these pastors and saying, you guys are of the devil. The reason you can't understand what I'm saying is because you're from your father. The devil was a murderer. All you want to do is kill me. You want to silence me. You want to get me out of here. You want to physically kill me. And the reason you want to physically kill me is because I'm about to upset the apple cart. And you're not going to make your money anymore. And that's the only thing. He goes, I'm speaking the truth. You don't want to hear it. And you're offended because I'm speaking the truth and you want, to, you want to kill me. And when he tells them you're really of the devil, that should have scared the stuffings out of them and they should have repented. But folks, it's pretty hard to repent when your heart is, your heart is so hard that you, really, you already don't care. All their actions are already proving they're... <clears throat> They don't care, and they don't really care about the truth. All they care about is their truth. So now they're going to continue with this name calling. So the Yehudim, they answered him and says, didn't we say that you're from the Shamron area? Uh, the Galilee area, it's another term for that. And that you have a demon, you got a demon in you. Now they're, now they're throwing darts. You're saying we're of the devil, you got a demon. You're from that weird place up there, you know, where those, all those half-breeds are. Um, Yeshua answered and said, I don't have a demon, but I value or glorify, I value my father, and you don't value me. I don't seek my own glory. There is one who is, is seeking and is judging. Now watch this. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone guards my word, he shall never see death at all. Or the other word for that would be keep. If you will keep my word, you will not see death. So what does the word keep mean? This is why I use the Scripture's version, because they get a lot of these words right, I think, for better understanding. Because here it says guard. It means to guard it. It doesn't mean to do it. If you guard it, protect it, in other words, make it authoritative in your life. This is what's governing my life, not my heart, not my opinions, but what Yeshua said and what the Bible says. That is what is authoritative, and I'm going to guard it, protect it, make sure it doesn't get messed with, because this is, my, this is the pattern. This is my roadmap, not only for this life, but for the next. If you got a GPS that's going to get you through this life and through heaven... Wouldn't you want that thing right? Because when she says, turn right here, and you can't see the street sign, you're like, I'm going to go ahead and turn because I'm not looking at a map anymore, right? Unless you got a, uh, someone, you know, that's 
giving you directions to sit next to you, say, you need, you need to turn here. <clears throat> You're just trusting and you're turning. Folks, the Bible is your GPS for this life and the next. That's why, watch this, you don't add to it or take away from it. It's God's word that he's given us to see us through in this life and the next. So Yeshua says, if you'll guard my words, make them authoritative in your life, protect them, treasure them, then you will never see death. Hallelujah, isn't that good? So then they, they say to him in verse 52, now we know that you've got a demon. We know that you've got a demon. Abraham died and the prophets. And you say, if anyone guards my word, he's never going to see death at all. Are you better than Abraham? <laughs> he died and the prophets died. Whom do you make yourself out to be? So now they think they've got him because he says, you'll never die. Oh, Really? So now you're going to tell us that you're better than Abraham and the prophets. They all died, dude. <laughs> now he's about to make them really mad because they, they think they've got him trapped. And so in verse 54, it says, Yeshua answered and said, if I, I'm going to use the word glorify. If I glorify myself, my, uh, my glory is not at all. It is my Father who glorifies me of whom you say he is your Elohim. Wow. Can it be any more clear now who he's calling his father and is glorifying him? They said that God, Yahovah, is their father. Now he's, he's like, he's not even going to mince words. He hasn't up to this point, but now he's just like going to really get in their face with it. My father who sent me is the one you called your father God. I mean, it's like, and he's glorifying me. You said he was your God. Verse 52. And you have not known him. You don't even know who you're talking about. But I know him. And if I say I don't know him, then I'll be like you, a liar. But I do know him. Whoa, watch this. And I guard his word. What? Are you, do you see now, when you, now that you understand these truths that I've been teaching here, when Yeshua says that he guards the very words of God himself and that we are to guard his word, and if we do what he did, we're going to have eternal life. Why? Because we're going to have him in us. We, we've, we're confessing that he really is the Messiah. It's more than intellectual consent. It's pledging allegiance to the one true king of kings and living out your life like you say you believe. Yeshua's doing the same thing with the Father. He's guarding his word. Um, listen, I'm going to get way ahead here because he says this back uh, in John chapter 15. John 15 verse 10, if you're making notes, you can write this one down, because he says, if you guard my commands or if you keep my commands, you shall stay in my love even as I have guarded my Father's commands and stay in his love. Right here he's telling him, he says, I'm, I'm doing what my Father wants me to do because he's glorifying me, I'm glorifying him. Listen, if y'all will guard my words, you'll have eternal life in the same way that I'm guarding my Father's words. And this shouldn't be anything new to anybody really in this room. It should actually make more sense now 
when you understand what that word means. And he goes, your father, Abraham, now he's taking them back to the point of, okay, I do know you're from Abraham's seed. I know your heritage. I got your DNA thing down. I get it, you know, I, I get it. Your father, Abraham, was glad that he should see my day, and he saw it and rejoiced. Before we get into this next comment, I'm going to have to read you the note that I said so that I can say this properly. Watch this. Because he said, your father Abraham was glad that he should see my day. But then he makes this other strange comment. He saw it and rejoiced. You have to let that germinate for a second. Yeshua is saying, now, um, can Yeshua be wrong about something? Or lie to us or mislead us. No, none, none of those. So what Yeshua is saying here is factual, right? Even if we don't have all the details, what Yeshua is saying here about Abraham is factual. We all agree with that because he's God in the flesh? Okay, so now listen to what I wrote down here. Uh, the thought of Yahovah, God, revealing to Abraham the coming Messiah through his descendants would have been an incredible event. How much did Yahovah reveal to him? We have no idea. And yet here Yeshua states that Abraham saw it and rejoiced. Before I go on with the rest of my notes here, God somehow revealed to Abraham He saw it, the fact that the Messiah, Yeshua, would come and would come through his descendants. I just got goosebumps. Try to put yourself in Abraham's sandals. God's been promising you a great heritage. Descendants like the stars and the sand on the sea. He didn't have any kids. Then he does that dumb Ishmael thing, right? But then what happens? Isaac, right? Uh, Offers up Isaac, you know, and God moves in. Somewhere in this process, God reveals to Abraham It will come through your descendants, yours and Sarah's descendants, through Isaac and on down. And there's a time coming when I will send the Messiah, the anointed one, that will restore all things, and he's going to come through your heritage because of this conversation and relationship you and I have. And, right, I'm just like, can anybody here even think of something that would make you more happy to think that God would be talking to you and saying, the blessing of all mankind based on our relationship and your obedience, I'm going to cause this to come through your descendants. Right? And it says here he rejoiced. Well, of course he did. 
Are you kidding me? He's like, whoa, you talk about purple smoke in the room, like blow your mind. What? Are you kidding me? So we have no idea, but here Yeshua says he saw it and he rejoiced, meaning he understood what it meant. That's why he would rejoice. He understood what it meant. Now, now I'm extrapolating a few things. This is still just my notes. You would have to believe that he shared this revelation with his family. And yet, how many of them would have believed, watch this, in Abraham's revelation? He's like 100 years old at this point, you know, when Isaac and offering up Isaac and, and all that stuff. It's a hundred. How many of them believed it? I'm going to guess none of them. But you think he would have kept that a secret from Sarah? You think he would have kept that a secret from Isaac? You think he would have kept that a secret from any of his, other, his relatives and descendants and stuff on and on? Of No. It's the most powerful, the biggest blessing. Are you kidding me? The culmination of creation and mankind from me and my descendants, somehow you're going to do this? Wow. I, I continued on with my notes here. Once again, we see here how important it is to have your own personal relationship and revelations with Yahovah. Being dependent on the revelations of others will never suffice for personal spiritual growth. Here they are. Now it's, uh, what, 25 or so hundred years later. Trying to add that up on, in, on top of my head. By the time Yeshua's here and being the descendants of Abraham, <clears throat> um, and he's telling them, your physical heritage saw my day and rejoiced in it. And they said to him, man, you're not even 50 yet. Have you seen Abraham? Yeshua said to them, truly, truly. And when you see that in Scripture, and we're going to see this a lot in the book of John, he says, truly, truly. It's like saying, pay attention. I'm telling you based on who I am that what I'm telling you is the truth. Pay attention. Truly, truly. I say to you, before Abraham came to be, I am. There are so many people that say that Jesus never claimed divinity. And I'm constantly going, I don't even know what Bible you're reading, quite honestly. Uh, he couldn't have been more explicit, couldn't have been more <clears throat> uh, definitive. Uh, and right here when he says, before Abraham even came into existence, I am. This is when they picked up stones and they're going to they're going to stone him. Why? Because they know their Bible. Exodus 3:14. And God said to Moses or Moshe, "I am that which I am." And he said, "Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you." 
Here, Yeshua is literally using the designation for the tetragrammaton, which is the four-letter word for God, which I pronounce Yahovah. And it's verbs. It's a connection of verbs, meaning I will be that which I want to be when I want to be it. In other words, I exist, therefore everything else exists. That's really what it's saying. It's even more than I can become what I want to become. He's literally saying, when he says I am, he said I exist. He's, he exists before anything else exists. And the reason anything does exist is because I'm here. That's what he's really saying. And that's what Yeshua said. Before Abraham ever came into creation, I exist. I am the one that was speaking at the burning bush. This is why the scripture tells us that everything that came into being came into being through and by Yeshua. He created everything. It's held together by him, for him, and through him. Nothing came into existence that he didn't create. So that big bang that was really God speaking, that was Yeshua speaking. That's why in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and we beheld His glory, glory over the only begotten of the Father. John 1, 1 and following. Um, so right here he's telling them explicitly. From this point on, there is no debate on what Yeshua is claiming about himself and what those others or what uh, allegiance the other people have. He's saying, I am God. And then verse 59 says, therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. But Yeshua was hidden and went out of the set-apart place, out of the holy place. So you see that now? He hasn't left. That's what I'm trying to, when you read all this in context, you realize, okay, he's gone down into the treasury of the temple and he's teaching these religious leaders that are in control of everything. He's talking to people, think of, you know, the Pope and, every, you know, all the uh, Protestant leaders and whatever. He, he's talking to all the heavy hitters in Jerusalem in a set-apart holy room, not the Holy of Holies, but in the treasury area of the temple. And here it says they, they reach down, they start picking up stones because they want to stone him because they realize what he's saying they realize he's, he's claiming God. He's claiming that, they, that he is Yahovah in the flesh standing in front of them. So they want to stone him for blasphemy. And here it says, well, he was hidden, meaning they couldn't see him. They're in a confined area. Yeshua makes these comments. He's hidden from them and he leaves. And it says that he literally went through the midst of them and just passed through them. He was hidden from them, and he just kind of just walks out. So evidently they couldn't see him because it says hidden. These, you would think that somebody would go, whoop, okay. I was just in the presence of God. I didn't die, you know, because he's saying all these things, and it, it should have added up for him. It didn't. These same people are the ones that end up uh, taking him to Pilate and end up him getting nailed on the cross. 
Folks, here's my point in all of this. Proof texting stuff to people to try to get them to believe what you see. Trying to uh, convince people this doesn't work. Either people want to know the truth or they don't want to know the truth. And the sad truth is that 99% of the people out there don't want to know the truth. Because if you hear the truth, that means you're going to have to change something. And very few people want to change. But I'm going to tell you one little thing about Paul Henry. I'm too scared of myself to not try to face the truth and change what I can to get as close to my God as possible because I know that I know that I know that he's coming back and he's coming back soon. I know things are going to get really rough and I want to be as right with my God as I can possibly be. As I can possibly be. Um, There are a lot of people that simply will not want to know the truth. I can't control that. Neither can you. Um, But there's only one thing I can control. What does this say? And am I going to align my life with what this says? Or am I going to align my life with what keeps me comfortable today? At the expense of what it will cost me there. An insurance salesman will tell you that's dumb planning. A financial planner will tell you that is very, very, very dumb financial planning. A good spiritual leader would tell you smart spiritual planning is to give up what keeps you comfortable here so that you can honor your father and it bless you there. Who cares? That's why the scripture says, oh, you want to be the disciple of Jesus? Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Then I'll add all these other things to you. You want to be a follower of me? Then you need to deny yourself. Well, that's not the American way though, is it? The American way is I need to be first and foremost. I got to win. I got to get home with the most toys. You know, on, on and on and on, and that's the form of success. I only want to hear one thing. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And all I can try to do is encourage you to get into the Word of God, pray, read it, follow it, repeat. Align your life with what the Word says and stop trusting in Folks, don't even just totally trust in me. Compare what I tell you to what the Bible actually says. Don't trust anything 100% of what you read or hear or see on YouTube or Facebook or anything. Compare it to what the Word of God actually says. Why? Eternity hangs in the balance. That's why. They couldn't get it. Why? Because they were of the devil and they didn't want to know the truth. But they were religious people. Matter of fact, the most religious of the religious. 
They could quote what everybody else said down pat. They could quote who quoted another quote. But they couldn't understand the very word of God. They could quote the quotes of the word of God. They could quote the word of God, but they couldn't understand the word of God. Because they'd already been changing the word of God to fit the quotes. Just like we did. All through here. But what the scripture says is that my life had better line up with what the word says because I'm going to be held accountable and judged by what? What I believe or what I did? By my works is what I'm going to be judged by, not what I believe or what I said I believe. What I did. That's why I would really like a bunch of do-overs. And that's why I'm really praying that Jesus doesn't come back tomorrow. I really hope they don't start building the temple next month. I hope the greater exodus isn't next year. I got way too much repenting to do. I want more time. I still got dirt behind the closet, and I got dirt under the refrigerator. I got stuff to clean out. Can anybody here relate? So I, 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 want, I want more time. But what I see in the news scares me. And so I just go, well, God, I'm just, you know, you're in control. I'm just watching. I see how things are shifting. Uh, I know it's short, but I, I just want to be close to you, and I want to understand what your word says. Because I want to be like what it says in here. Those that know their God will do mighty things. That's talking about during that tribulation period. So I want to know that I know that I know Him. I want to know that I know His Word and what He's expecting out of me to do. And then to do that right, to love each other and to love God try to point people to him and help people understand what's happening so that he can be glorified. That's what I'm after. And I hope that'll be your goal. Um, time is short, so uh, repent. Uh, that's for all of us Christians, right? I think everybody in this room and here is a believer, know everybody in here, uh, doesn't mean that we as believers shouldn't repent. 1 John 1, 1, 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You know what's fascinating about that passage? He's talking to Christians. <laughs> he's talking to believers. We confess our sins one to another. Confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He's talking to believers. So repentance isn't just for those, you know, those bad lost people. You know, we're the good people, right? <laughs> We got so much to repent for. Um, So um, God loves you. Here's what I want you to see. Before Abraham ever existed, Yeshua existed. Yeshua died on the cross to restore our relationship. Who's going to come back and rule on this earth for a thousand years? Yeshua's going to do that, right? Therefore, 
whatever comes down the pike in between now and then, should we be scared? Not one bit. Not of that stuff. That stuff is not what scares me. You know what scares me? Paul Henry scares me. I just want to, I want more time to do more cleaning on Paul, <laughs> to clean Paul, so that when that happens, you know, I'd like my exit review to be a lot shorter when that happens than if it were to happen today. So that's why I'm praying, you know, God, give me another day, another, I need, actually, I need a bunch of years, but give me some more time uh, to repent and get closer to you because um, I, I want to please him. And uh, I just, I want to glorify him and I hope that'll be your goal as well.